Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster. I am a managing partner at Invader Comics, and I write two comics. I write Kadoja and Three Protectors. Sweet. Yeah, all right. Well, I do th- um, amongst those two things, you also drink beer. So what are you drinking yeah. this week, my friend? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fucking polymath. I write comics and I drink beer. multi-talented uh yeah yeah so i'm pretty stoked because i went to the beer store yesterday my my fridge is incredibly sparse like until yesterday there were two beers in there which is just an all-time low and um well not an all-time low but pretty goddamn close yeah a three-year low a three-year low and i found all kinds of interesting interesting shit to try and this is one of them the breckenridge brewery's christmas ale so mm. we're getting in the season and I found some pretty groovy stuff to try here. Again, like more wintry kind of ales and, and beers. And that's what I'll be drinking these next few weeks. So this is a full body, a malty full bodied winter warmer. I believe it's 7%, something like that. So Ooh. I've been, look, I've been, I can't think of the last time I've done a podcast with a power rating under a hundred, but today is that day. Because usually I'm drinking like 16 ounce beers at at least 9%, but this is only 12 ounces at 7%. So yeah, I'm just going to try to sip this and enjoy it, and I'm about to find out how good it is while you tell me what you're drinking. Okay, so I, I have a 16 ouncer. Mine is only a 6% ABV, and it's... I don't know what the fuck this is. Okay, it's from Unsung Brewing Company. Hero Lore is the name of the beer. Okay, there it is. It's a sour ale with blueberries, red raspberries and marshmallow so i have no clue what i'm in for <laughs> um but we're about to find out how is that it beer sounds like a fucking mess but yeah, yeah um, it sounds all over it, the place it, was, it sounds it, like exactly what i don't want but that's okay you like sours and i don't I, so no i don't i don't like them um, no. my girlfriend just has a habit of going to trader joe's and if she sees a can that i've never had before she picks it up and this was one of them she's like i see you haven't had this like i haven't had it for a reason woman <laughs> anyway uh yeah this is really good this is really good i think a name like christmas ale would make you think that it's like super hearty but in fact it's just a really nice malty beer um okay. and i'm excited because because i i got five or six maybe seven different kinds of beers and the idea was these are auditions and i can go back and get some more for whatever i like what about you man what, what's your what's your verdict honestly not that bad not that bad, yeah. not overly sour. So the thing with sour beers that I don't like is the sourness. So this has some of it. There's like the acidity to it, but it's not overwhelming. And I think it's the marshmallow that kind of calms it all down. So I think that that's all, a that nice balance, actually. That makes sense. Yeah, not too terrible. All right, yeah. so we got the beers out of the way. What's the first thing you got done this week, my friend? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I like the idea of chronological order again. And I have three things. So the I, I mentioned that I was going to hold one thing over from last week. And this, boy, does this make it sound like a holdover from last week because I had intended to carry it through and then my mother came to town and it was a holiday and, you know, I did a lot of things and I ended up not doing it. But I expect that there will be a weekend ahead of me where I, I do this. I watched movies. This is a holdover. This is a holdover from last week. So, I mean, I only watched like one movie technically last week, but I had watched... I mean, there was a run there. It was one of the weekends when I was alone. 
And instead of going to too many places or driving up to my favorite place like Arrowhead, etc., um, I decided that I just wanted to stay around and um, and watch some movies, specifically kung fu movies. So that's what I did. I mean, I, I watched uh, there were I think on both weekend days I watched at least three movies a day going through. Um, I will mention vaguely that I there is a specific type of kung fu kung fu movie I am watching that I'm not going to talk about but the important part is the you know the larger stuff and the reason is because where I am with the second book in three protectors is that I've written a lot of the big stuff we'll we'll get to another thing on three protectors when I get to you know a separate thing through the week here but when it comes to writing I've written a lot of scenes and as of right now, the scenes have placeholders like a fight. And there's a big difference between a fight and describing that actual fight. And so what this does, what this has done, is allowed me to inform that fighting. You know, um, I'm going to say this again in a separate context, right? Like, it's, it's one thing to say there's a kung fu scene and there's another to really get into the characters that are in the scene, the kung fu moves that are in the scene. And uh, look, I'm not going to give anything away. This is public knowledge. At the end of Three Protectors, Volume 1. Fast forward one minute if you don't want to hear a spoiler. Yeah, that's a good point. Fast forward one minute. Go, go buy it on my web store, read it, and then fast forward a minute and then come back and get that mystery minute. Okay, and then we'll pick up in a second. The there's there's a victor, and then the masters basically say, and he's like, "I'm ready to go home." Hey, I won, you know. And he's like, "We never said you'd go home when you won. You fight again tomorrow, <laughs> right?" And that's how it is. So volume two is going to pick up with that fighting, and we're going to resume that fighting. But I need to get the actual shades of those fights in, and I love surrounding myself with culture. As I'm doing stuff, um, what I realized is I can get away with watching movies I can, or, or watching TV. I can not feel guilty about doing those things if I think that they have the potential or they directly inform something I am doing. So that's generally why I am not a big like show watcher, movie watcher, etc. Because I don't really watch for entertainment. I watch for a fusion of entertainment and something that may inform a project I'm working on. If I get that, I'll watch stuff till the cows come home, you know, and that's what I ended up doing. So I, I took down notes of stuff that was worth noting, and maybe I'll incorporate some of these things into into future scenes. You know, um, it's looking really good for some of them. I'll obviously figure out a way to twist them around, turn them into something else, and then uh, make them mine. Right on, man. Yeah, that's that's always great when you're watching something and it's giving you inspiration. And uh, even when you go out and seek something specifically for that inspiration, it's, it's yeah. always good. And then when you get some extra tidbits, something you can use something later on, even better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What about you, man? What was your first thing? Uh, first thing, I finished another page of Second Shift 13. Um, when you were talking, I was trying to figure out if I had finished two pages. And honestly, I'm not sure. Um, oh, I was okay. trying to figure out the page I had done prior to this last one. And I'm just like, shoot, I think it was that one. But I, I, I'm like having a hard time remembering. And I've been doing... I've been using the Slack method and jumping around a bit, um, but I am also finding pages that I'm like, yeah, I want to work on this whole page, and there's nothing about it that's deterring me. And uh, lately, that's that's been a good thing. So, like, every day, 
has been a day where I'm like, yeah, I don't mind doing backgrounds. So I mm -hmm. will tackle, like, at first I'll be tackling all the people in it. And I'm like... Yeah, I just feel like finishing this panel, so let me do the background in it. And so those are the those are the best days possible. If you just find a page that you're into everything going on, and you can knock out the background at the same time, like heck yeah, that's a win for sure. So um, yeah, I'm not sure if I had finished <laughs> this uh, other page or not. I'm looking at one that's potent that I potentially had finished early, and then I started the next page, and then I finished that page uh, today. So it's it's possible that I did two pages since the last time I recorded. Okay. What what specific type of background work are you doing right now? Are you it's it's cityscapes, it's interiors, uh, in the it's exteriors, like okay, so it's interiors. Yeah, interiors, the second shift crew, they're in their apartment. And um so there's just a bunch of different angles, different rooms that they're in, um, the hallway, so you know, the bathroom or whatever. So there's a lot going on. And luckily, I had created a 3D image of the apartment in um, Google SketchUp. And mm -hmm. so it's 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 kind of fucked up because it's like I'm not that proficient in Google SketchUp, but I know enough to kind of create roughly what an apartment should look like. But as I'm putting those into scenes, I'm like, yeah, I made this hallway too skinny. I need to um adjust this and so yeah. i'm doing stuff on the fly i'm just reworking it and i'm like yeah i think that looks right so i'm like trying to find the right angles and it's just like the me creating this model was to help me breeze through the the interiors of the apartment way quicker and uh, it's doing it to a degree but i'm um, i'm also finding some some things i need adjustments to so um you know also just taking pictures of of stuff in uh, my condo. It's just like I live in a building. I I have a bathroom. Let me take mm -hmm. pictures of that. So so that's yeah. also helping. One of the things with Google SketchUp is if your image has walls, you can't see through the wall. So like I'll have to delete the wall in order to get the correct view. And then sometimes there's just not enough space like to do that and maneuver. So then I'm still having to kind of just use my imagination and kind of fudge it. But uh, I think it's all coming out pretty well. And I'm happy with how things are turning out for sure. That's cool, man. I mean, again, that's some pretty cool specifics around what you're actually doing. At, you know, that's a, a step beyond just backgrounds, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, it's cool, man. I'm, I'm tackling shit from different angles and, you know, hoping I'm keeping a couple of these talking head pages interesting enough. And, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned it on a previous pod that I'm also, like, I have a, it's a pure talking heads page. Uh, and, you know, one of the characters is doing something in the page, but they're having a conversation. So the way I did it was I, I created an anchor image, just a full body image on the left side. And then on the right side, it's a bunch of talking heads. So it's just like, I like looking at this page. Like if I was just reading a comic book and I saw this page, I'd be happy with it. It's just like, yeah. cool. Yeah, it has a nice image on it. And, uh, you know, they have the conversation going and one of the characters is doing something in the meantime. So, um, yeah, it's working good. And, and uh, I'm happy with my production and the speed that I'm going at. So I think I'm averaging uh, about two and a half panels a day right now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that's playing, that's spitting hot fire right there. Yeah, man. Dylon, Dylon, yeah. Dylon. Dylon, Dylon, Dylon. Five best rappers of all time. Uh, okay. So yeah, for, for me, my second thing, it's weird because the things I did this week are were super interesting to experience. They're a bit harder to describe than the kind of things I've done 
recently or even in, in the more distant past. So I, I've worked on the novel a little bit. And where I am in the novel, the way the novel is working so far is that, you know, last week I was into it and I was writing a scene and I kind of got into the scene, etc. And what I what I see that I'm doing is I wrote a page or two's worth and then I hit another stopping point. And the other stopping point was because I need to have something happen. Let's use this sci-fi example again, right? We know that my novel's not sci-fi, but I like using sci-fi for the examples. If I don't understand the type of science fiction I am doing, then I can't write the scene. It's going to be a really crappy scene full of either stand-in stuff that I have to fill in later, so why write it? Or it's going to be a scene where I just think of stuff and it may not even be relevant later, so it's just a waste of my time. So what I've what I've found works best for me, at least in, at, for this novel, because it's just flowing differently, is that I run into these stopping points and then I just go on a huge ton of research. So similar to watching the Kung Fu movies to inform stuff, I am now doing a few interesting types of research that I can't get into on the podcast that are going to inform this scene in the novel and ideally inform just more than this scene in the novel. So it's been weird. I mean, the interesting thing is I'm still writing like 150 words a day right now, but the important work I'm doing is so much about the research I'm doing. So it's like I'm at a pretty much a stop, but I need to do the research because it'll make the pages that more that much more, you know, productive and closer to the final version later. Um, and, and I think that's the way that this novel is going to work. At least I think that's the way first drafts can work too. And in a way, I think it's an interesting model people can try for themselves as an alternate to the typical research, right? Like we've talked about research at length, I think on this podcast and that research can be seductive and you can spend all your time doing research only to incorporate, you know, a couple words into your novel, even though you did a week of research or even longer. And what I try to do with my research is write until I need it in the book, and then I go for it. And then I, you know, do the magpie thing, right? Again, I, I, you know, Neil Gaiman said it best, so I think it's such a cool way of describing it. You know, you research like a magpie. You pick out the shiny bits, and then you just weave your own tail around them. And so now it's time to hunt for those shiny bits that I can make my own and build my own story out of. Um, I haven't found them yet, and that just means i got to research more. And then once I get to the point where I'm like, ah, there are the couple things I want, then I can go back, write this scene, and probably repeat the process again in anywhere from a week to five weeks, depending on how long this bit takes me. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, I'm in the process of doing that with the short story that I'm going to be doing at the beginning of the year. Uh, that third story that I've been talking about for quite some time mm -hmm. that's just been in the back burner. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of doing the same thing. There's a lot of character stuff and like cultural stuff that I'm just kind of brainstorming. And if I come across something or think something pops into my mind, it's just like, oh, write that down, write that down. And I wish I had a um, like a giant whiteboard or something and I can just have like like a mad scientist just doodling on all the time and like, OK, well, you mm -hmm. need this. How does this connect? That type of thing. And um, uh, it's interesting because some of the notes that we got back from Mike uh, regarding the second shift, I woke up one morning and I was just brainstorming like I woke up at 6 a.m. and I just couldn't sleep and I was just like. I can't sleep. What should I do? 
I don't want to wake Danielle up. I don't want to wake my girlfriend up by drawing because it makes a noise, you know, like the scratching on the surface of the, right. the iPad and everything. I'm like, I don't want to wake her up. What can I do? It's like, you know what? I have some problem solving to do. And so I just laid in bed thinking and just like, well, if this happened, what, how would that affect the rest of the story? Or if this, this character's motivation, what if this information changed and how does that affect the characters around them and the story going forward? And mm-hmm. so I was just like, all right, I can text Ed. That doesn't make noises. So I just started yeah. texting him things and, and he wakes up early. So he was actually texting back and we're going back and forth talking about like what what we can do in the story, what we need to do to make these adjustments and like how those make sense. So um I guess it's a little different than you doing the research and, and watching stuff, but um, uh, just looking at it from basically the writer side of creating comics, it's been different. You know, it's just like I don't me and Ed kind of have this thing. It's just like, well, this is what I want to do. And then he does the writer thing. He, you know, he, he figures it out, how it's all going to work. And it makes sense to me when I read it. And so it was just interesting coming from the writer perspective, um, you know, brainstorming um, what to do. You know, like, oh, yeah. how do we adjust this for th- for this all to make sense and to keep with our plan? And it was interesting that a lot of the the ideas that I was thinking of, Ed would go, well, wouldn't this character act this way if he knew that information? And I was like, not really. I was like, people are all different. Some people take information well. Some people take information very poorly. So depending on the person... And what we know about this character, this is how they would react to it. And he agreed. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, I, I can make a little bit of a bridge there, right? That that what you're what you're talking about is the very interesting type of big thinking I I refer to when I say I threw on jazz records and then I just thought, or I yeah. went for a walk and I just thought. So that's the kind of stuff you're doing. It's kind of that fun. Does yeah, I mean, it's great, and and it. it it gives you, I think it gives you insight and you've probably done it before, but if not, then it might be crystallizing the idea of like, this is actually why writing takes time. You can write, you can, you can sit down and punch out a script in a few days, but if you don't know what the fuck's going on in the script, then it's going to be a big piece of shit. So what you need to do is you need to have all your thoughts clear and you need to, you know, inform that thinking with research, right? There's doing, there's the thinking that goes into the doing, and then there's the research that goes into both of those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're talking about big thinking. I'm talking about research, which informs the big thinking. But in both cases, you know, production, quote unquote, the the assembly line needs to stop. Because if it doesn't stop, you're just going to crank out a bunch of bullshit, right? right? And that's that's not what anybody wants. And, you know, again, it, to all the people out there making their own books, writing in one way or another, you know, like, I I, I stand by this method, what we're talking about. You know, it's, it's much better to just take a pause and make sure and think through the stuff you're doing. And if it doesn't make sense, you need to stop and you need to research what you need. And I think that's a good model for research because it's going to mean... That instead of keeping, you know, half of 1% of the research you do, like most of the time, you might keep like 10 or 20% of the research because you're waiting until you need to research stuff and then you're going out there and doing it, you know? Yeah. So again, then it can inform the big thinking, which once you get the big thinking done, then you're going to be able to just crank forward with the book and it's going to be on on cruise control again. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so interesting because we have future plans for all the characters. We know where the story's going and to 
we had we had a good idea where the story was going up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Now, this one detail that I had changed, like it was just different. And it's like it was literally does this character know this thing or does he not know this thing? That's that's how little the change was. Mm-hmm. Before he did not know. Mm-hmm. I was like I told that I said, "What if he does know?" And Ed goes, well, that changes this, this, this. It was like it was like a domino. By by yeah. changing this one thing, it made the whole thing go. And I was like, this is why that works, though. You know, yeah. because it would affect him in this way. And then so, but, you know, meeting meeting all of the other characters, it would affect him this way. And, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And then so the story that we have coming up, I was like, this actually dovetails perfectly into that. And then after that storyline, then he, you know, and then the information comes out after that. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it was like, well, that affects this storyline. And I'm like, well, that fits perfectly. You know, so it was just, it was yeah. fascinating that all you needed is, was this one thing to change and it and it connected everything seamlessly, and there was no yep. problem. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, man, man, are you just exemplifying the example I've given many times about making the person right-handed instead of left-handed? Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I am talking about, right? You can make this one little stupid change, and it's going to ripple through the novel. You know, like as you were talking, it, it made me think of this idea of you know I was trying to figure out how to encapsulate the size of the change you're talking about, right? And mm-hmm. and the best changes are the ones where you can make this change. You realize you need to make the change. You make the change. And then you view your book as like a carefully laid out domino sculpture, right? Yes. And, and what you have to ask yourself is, how many of my fucking dominoes am I going to knock over that I'm going to have to set up right again? Because some changes you're like, oh shit, I'm knocking over a whole lot of dominoes, right? right? And right. then others you're like, oh, you know, if I do this thing and that thing and that thing, then it turns out I really don't do that much damino, uh, damino, <laughs> dom- damage to my domino, domino damage. sculpture. Domino yeah. damage. Uh, I don't do that much damage to my domino sculpture, and I can probably get everything kind of squared away and back on track in a week or whatever it's going to be. So it's really mm-hmm. fun to hear you process and talk about stuff that, you know, has been a part of, you know, the last hundred plus episodes for me. Right, yeah. And and it's, it's like... Um... I don't know, man. It's like when you're looking at a map uh, in a story, a character's looking at a map and part of the map is missing. It's like rubbed off or something like Mm -hmm. that. And we had our starter point. We had where we currently were and we had the tail end of the story. The, The stuff in between was the stuff that was missing. And by changing that one thing, it filled the rest of the map in. And yep. so, yeah, super cool, super fun. And that reminds me of Neil Gaiman's line um, in his little masterclass ad. The second draft is where you get to act like you knew what you were doing all along. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I guess technically that would be my second thing. Um, oh, okay. Was that your second thing? I didn't know if you had a second thing on uh, top of that. I do. I have other things. Should I do something else? Yeah. I mean, I've got one more after this. So if you okay. have two more, then I'd say do the first now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll do, I'll do this. Um, so... This is a lesson for artists out there. Um, before you do work for a client, and like this, this is a this is kind of a rookie move on my end. However, I will say that I had worked with this person before, and it's possible that he just hasn't checked 
Um, the way we communicate is via Twitter. Um, you know, he'll send me a message. He's like, hey, do you think you can do this work for me? And the first thing I do when I work with a brand new client is I go, this is my rate and I'm going to need um, half up front. And this, this particular person, I didn't do that this time around because I had already worked with him before. I think I, I had done a couple of things for him. So I was just like, yeah, he's good for it. He always pays me. It's, it's not a big deal. He pays pretty quick. Um, so I was showing him the current project. Um, it had been some time, like, like I think a month or two had passed before, you know, I actually got to work on his stuff. He goes, Hey, you know, just checking back in. I was like, yeah, I got, I got some, um, I got some time this week, you know, I'll work on your stuff. So I sent him, sent him stuff over and, and he liked it. And as things were going on, he's like, yep, I like that even more. Yeah. Can you do this? Yep. I could do that. And so I basically sent him the finished piece, but it was basically a, a it was a picture of the image on my iPad. So there's like a little bit of a glare, but you can see the picture, the image pretty clearly, the, the piece that I was doing for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I try to put it at a slight angle, but it was, you know, it was more or less like, like a straight on shot. So um, it's been three weeks and he has not paid me. Um, I was just like, hey, I'm pretty much done. I just got to do this one last thing and then I'll send it your way. Can you send the money over? He's like, yeah, I'll send you the money um, later today. And then, so a day goes by, I was like, Hey, just wondering if you could send that money over. Never did. And it didn't look like he checked the message either. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would wait about three to four days. I would send him another message, send, wait five days, send him another message. So I did that three times, still nothing. So just for you artists out there, even if you've worked with someone maybe once or twice, make sure you get paid up front because you just don't want to run into this type of thing. If you've worked with them, like, over half a dozen times, I guess you'd be more or less safe. Um, I have the the guy I work with that um, you know I do commissions for, like one of my clients. I completely trust him. My my wrestling uh, pro wrestling loot client, I trust him completely. I'm not worried about that. But if they're like these one offs, you know, just to be on the safe side, get at least half up front and uh, don't send them the final piece. You can send them some updates and make sure you know. Hope if you're more than likely you're doing it um, traditionally. If it is a, a commission piece, people usually do want a physical copy. But in this particular instance, it was a logo for his company. So, um, yeah, make sure you're doing that, making sure you're getting at least half up front. Yeah, man. Fair enough. I mean, hey, it happened. It happens to everybody. And, you know, you, you think you're good and then all of a sudden you're not. So um, have you been paid yet? Or are you still waiting? Still waiting. Um, okay. But I will say, though, communication with this guy has has been um kind of like this like a little sporadic um you know it's like we'll talk and then i won't hear from him for like a week or something like that but Mm -hmm. since we were in the midst of the project i thought he'd be more responsive especially since he said he was going to send the money the very next day and that didn't happen so um you know who knows what's going on i'm still holding i mean it's the answer is pretty obvious he's in jail (laughs) uh he died of covid (laughs) so yeah, it's all over. I'm not getting that yeah. money. But hey, the logo came out pretty cool. <laughs> logo looks great. Yeah. yeah. So I'll just use it for something else. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Good. To, good to go. Um, okay. So my third thing. This is. I almost wonder if I should save this for another week. But fuck it. Let's just keep going with it. The other thing I did was I worked on three protectors. Now, I think I have mentioned this before. That for volume two of three protectors, it's it's a story that for creative purposes I have to break up into three parts. The first part is pure script that I'm going to hire an artist for. The second part 
is art that was actually done for the original volume one of Three Protectors, but it's it's carried over like we never used it. It's an entirely separate chunk of pages because Three Protectors at one point was just going to be a one shot story. And then we realized that, no, we should do this. We should do that. It went through, you know, eight changes or whatever. And now here we are. So I have, you know, 20 plus pages of content that I had to get to with the first 20 pages of volume two, right? Like it, it, it only makes sense to have something to build to it and then to go away from it. So that's the part that I'm in right now. And then after that, there will be some more script I do that I'll get the same artist from the first part to do part three, four, right? So it's, to me, it's a three part story in terms of the process because it's two different kinds of processes that I'm going forward with, right? So in this case, this is the, the Keith special of retrofitting you know, context and dialogue to existing art panels. And so that's what I've been going through right now. It's been a really fun process this time, though. You know, the good news is I have the PSDs for it. So all I had to do was pull out all of the text and dialogue boxes. And I have, you know, virgin, you know, un unlettered pages that I can just think through this time. And what I did was, I don't know, man, I've, I've been having this real run recently of trying to get as manual and tactile as possible. So I remember about a month and a half ago, I don't think I even talked about this, I decided to write, write a scene in longhand um, for, for the new novel. I just wanted to write it longhand. So I busted out some paper, I busted out a pen, and I just wrote it in longhand, then I ended up typing it in. Just a way to vary it up. And again, that's another thing to writers out there. You ever feel like you're in a rut? I didn't feel like it was in a rut, I just felt like I wanted to do it. But it's also a great rut breaker. You can do these kind of things like write something in longhand, or you know whatever you wanna do. Um, print it out in a different font, read it. Get someone else to read it to you. Go to a different place, go to the park to read it instead of your usual working space. You can do all these cool little things to get your brain working just a little bit different, you know? And, um, and so in this case, uh, with three protectors, what I just felt the most logical thing was, was that I was going to print out these pages and I was going to get a whole bunch of post-its and then I'm just in, you know, cause, cause there there's art and I don't want to write any dialogue on it cause I wanted a pencil. And so I got a pencil, I got a bunch of post-its and then I slapped post-its where the dialogue should go. And then I would just tear them and then tape them in. So I have these fucking pages that just have like orange post-it pieces everywhere where the new dialogue is going to go. And, uh, and that's what I've been working on. So it's, it's been a fun process to do. It's been a fun manual process, process to do. And I'm almost all the way through it now. And uh, that means that I can then take this and kind of have it rush on into the third and final part of this comic. And uh, again, there will be this change in the way the art is done um, because I'll have a change in artists, but I think it fits thematically. You know, I had already run this by Mike. Like, what do you think about having two artists on the book? We did it on the first one. Are we okay to do it here? He's like, yeah. And it's even better if there's a thematic thing that's going on. Right. And uh, and so I do have a thematic thing that's going on in this part of the novel. Not I mean, of the book, um, not the biggest deal, but I think it'll work. And I think it's 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 coming along really well, man. I'm excited and it's been a fun process to do. It's, it's man, it's so crazy how often you have to deal with artist switch on your books. It's just like <laughs> I am. I feel so bad for you. But at the same time, you handle it well. You're like, yeah, I can change it. It's not a big deal. You know, I can figure yeah. it out. So so yeah. that's great. I know for me, 
like I'm I'm glad that I'm doing the art end. You know, it's just yeah. like the only changes you see is the change in my art style. You know, it's just like yeah. my art growing, and that's a good thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's it's just a different kind of challenge. You know what I mean? Like like you have your own specific challenges you do making your own your book, mm-hmm. and I have my own specific challenges I do making my book. And you know, part of this is like e- economics. You know, like if because my logic is if I find a way to repurpose 20 plus pages, 24 pages, if you take that by a page rate, you're saving a whole lot of fucking money, brother. And you get to add, you know, like, again, for me, it's free to continue to try to rework this. And again, these pages are pretty cool. You know, I'll show them to you at some point. I think you're going to like them, man. They work. It's they're by Mark Knossler, who did, you know, some of the pages in the first book. Right. Yeah. This is the the second uh, half, right? Uh, he did the first, the actual first scene, the one in front of like the Council of Serpents, like the oh, Kung yes. Fu batch. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. then he, and then he did a couple, I think he did a couple of the final panels at the end. So he shows up in the absolute, absolute beginning and the absolute end. And then oh, okay. Rory is the one in the middle. And so Mark has a much bigger role in terms of panels in this book. He Again, he's going to have like 20 plus pages. Oh, and okay. if I can oh. find, you know, and if I can find an artist that kind of even blends better with him, so be it. That'll be even cooler. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Dude. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So no, again, it's, hey, it's all a challenge. It's all a creative challenge. I'm going to bring up something that I'm reading right now because I think it's a great, boy, would I love a certain edition of this. But if people aren't aware of it, there is a fantastic book. I think everybody's aware of this now because it's become a movie. Amazing book out there called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And when we talk about public domain, I believe this is a masterclass in using public domain. So people that aren't familiar with it, it is written by two people. It's written by Seth Graham Smith and Jane Austen because it's in the public domain, right? So what Seth Graham Smith did was take the original Pride and Prejudice and then change words, add things, and completely add a zombie-killing story to Pride and Prejudice, it appeals to people with a very specific sense of humor, and I have that very specific sense of humor and <laughs> entertainment. It is so in my wheelhouse and a fun exercise. So I've been listening to it again recently, even though I read it when it first came out, you know, 14, 15 years ago. And um, boy, you know, he, he Seth Graham Smith delivers the forward in this. And he talks about how when he first started working on it, he would he would write, he would he would have the Jane Austen manuscript in front of him. He somehow figured out a way to load it in. And then he would put his stuff in red. And and then what he would do is sometimes there would be big chunks of red and sometimes there'd be a single word. And he said then what he would do is he would zoom out to like a large 20, 30, 40 page view of the book to see how much black and how much red there was in there. But he had a very specific goal that he wanted to have a little bit of red on every single page. And I thought that was so interesting. Even if it was one word, he wanted to have one touch of red on every single page of the book. And it's that kind of stuff because I love it. Like, I would love a printed edition of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies that has the black-red comparison. I would right. love to own that thing. You, you, you print that thing up, I will buy it tomorrow. Um, because it'd be a great creator exercise to look at. And so for me... When, when you have people out there doing that kind of interesting work and you have people like, you know, you and Chris Dreyer and, and the people that are doing public domain stuff and incorporating public domain into like current books, 
you know, what's a little rewriting, you know, rewriting and refitting a book of your own that you can just do. So again, it's just a different type of creative challenge. It's a type of creative challenge I find interesting, like kind of retrofitting and reworking and and using all the parts of the animal that you've killed. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So that so that you can, you know, that like nothing, nothing I work on ever goes bad. You know, like I can repurpose anything from any time into something. And I always try to be very aware of previous things I've done that I can repurpose purpose we just got through what a four episode stretch where i was talking about this short story that i've now repurposed into two separate things my novel and three protectors so Mm -hmm. yeah man a lot of your old stuff can be used if you just hang around long enough and keep your mind open to it yeah absolutely yeah there's stuff i'm going to be doing with the public domain in the coming uh in 2023 and it's it's a lot it's very similar to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It's just like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's something that I want to do with a couple of public domain stories and a couple of public domain characters. And that's going to be uh, rearing its head, you know, in the latter part of 2023. And I'm excited nice. for it. So, yeah, I have, I have way too much planned for the end of this year and the beginning of next year. But the tail end of next year, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, what I'm going to do there. I'm looking forward to all of it. But uh, nice, but that's going to be something fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, my last thing is I'm still waiting on Commissioner Gordon regarding this mermaid commission. It's just like mm. my man. I'm, I'm finished. <laughs> Am I finished? Mm-hmm. Let me know. So that's that's really all I'm doing with that. Um, and I know I'm going to have a batch of more wrestling related uh, work that I have to do for my client. But as of right now, I get to focus on these books and uh you know doing some writing stuff with ed like i had talked about previously but mainly tackling these pages and just really trying to get um this deadline done um i really want to get this book completed by the end of january so Mm -hmm. you know doing the you know one one page a week method it would put me at the end of february when i would be finished so mm-hmm. this is i'm hoping i can shed that down to the end of january because i really do want to work on that six page story and then plus i love getting issues done man it's like i want to yeah. get faster i want to get more books done per year i think right now i'm sitting at um like two and a half books a year and i would really like to get a solid three issues done every year and that would just speed things along so much like all the storylines that ed and i want to do all these different projects that i want to do it's just uh there's just not enough time i need more time yeah man i hear you man i hear you well that's good that's good hey i mean it's it's always nice to have so many projects and i i feel you right if i had more time then i'd just do more stuff so anyway good to hear and uh and hey here's to the future that's right. All right. So that's it for the beginning topic where we discuss the things that we've done creatively this week. We are now on to the show's main topic, which is the other rule of thirds. So mm-hmm. what that is, is I came across a video on YouTube. It was a YouTube short and it was an athlete talking about working on, uh, I believe it was her splits. She was talking about her splits. Her coach was like an Olympic trainer. Uh, he was an Olympian himself. And he was saying, hey, you know, you're not getting what you need done today and it's not going well, but that's okay. You know, it's just the rule of thirds. And she's like, what do you mean? What's the rule of thirds? It's like, well, if you are dreaming about a goal, if you're if you're trying to obtain a goal, a dream of yours, a third of the time, you're going to feel great. You're going to feel happy. Another third of the time, not so much. And then another third of the time, you're going to feel completely terrible. You know, you're going to be great somewhere in the middle somewhere 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 on the end so Mm -hmm. 
if you are if you are achieving those three things while you're trying to obtain these goals, you're in a good place. If you are a little too happy about things and things are going a little too well, it's time to self-analyze. It's time to look at what you're doing and make sure you are on track for what you're doing. Don't get overly uh, content with what you're doing in your process because you might be doing something wrong and not even know it. And so right. I thought that was a great little thing and that can easily be converted to art or anything creative, you know, writing, uh, what, what have you. Whatever you're trying to achieve, you need to think about it in those instances. Yeah, I mean, wasn't, I, I believe, I mean, you did send the video to me. You said, hey, I got this video. Um, and it was, you know, it was never going to give you up by Rick Astley. And I was like, come on, man. <laughs> do you, do, do, are we really, are we really still on this? And then you sent me the real video. Yeah. It's never going to let you down. And then, but then you sent me the real video. And it was, um, it was this. And I believe, wasn't there a little thing in there that if you feel good, a little too often, then maybe your goal isn't aggressive enough, right? I believe there was something about that, that if you're feeling good a little too much, then maybe maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough and maybe your goal is a little more easily attainable than you had thought and maybe you should rethink your goals as well, right? Did, did Do I remember that right? Yeah, that, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. like it was in there. I had only, yeah. I watched it like three times and it was, I admittedly, that was a few days ago and my memory's garbage. But um, I did yeah, watch yeah. it today. I was like, all right, let me get a refresher on this. But that does sound definitely familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we were going to go into some personal stories about this, too. And, and, you know, any any anybody who's listened to more than three episodes of this podcast probably knows what I'm about to talk about, which is the no Vaseline comment. You think I felt good when I got that? You know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dial back into it just a little bit here. I gave somebody 100 pages to read and I got it back and... It was, it was actually a combination of harsh but accurate criticism. Harsh and inaccurate criticism. Harsh and trivial criticism. And stuff that felt like it was going, getting a little too personal. What did I say there that was pleasant? <laughs> you know, not <laughs> right. a single thing, right? In fact... Be, to know me is to know that I obsess with stuff like data. At one point, I went through all, and again, I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but it's a good time to do it in the context of this episode. I went through all 100 pages. And what I wanted to see was how many times this person said a positive thing, basically just like put a check mark in the column or the equivalent of a check mark in a column where they did like, uh, what's it called? Like the markup feature on a Word document, right? Where it was just like, nice, good. Anything like that. Twice. Twice in 100 pages. So luckily, I have enough self-confidence where I know that if you only like two things that I wrote in those first 100 pages, it's bullshit, right? So, you know, it might have made me question my life a little bit more or my writing had the person given me, say, 20 good comments and then proceeded to have the balance be, you know... Nothing but bad stuff. You know, um, I'm going to give a bizarre analogy one time uh, of, of something I did. If I haven't made a big deal out of it on the podcast, I think I've at least mentioned it, that I have rhymed for quite a while. The band Big Pimp Jones started as a hip-hop band. It was not an instrumental funk band. 
And as a result, you know, there was a time where I was a long period of time where I was pursuing pursuing a, a rap career and doing things like that. And I went to a rhyme battle one time and I got up and I, I uttered two words and proceeded to get booed ruthlessly. I had shit thrown at me. What's interesting about that point is it didn't give me any kind of crisis of confidence because they booed me immediately. They, they didn't, you know, had they booed me 10 seconds in, it may have given me a crisis of confidence because I would have known maybe my rhyming sucks. By booing me from the outset, it let me know that you didn't care how I rhymed. You were, you were ready to, to, to bring the thunder from the outset. And I'm bringing that back to this example because there was so little positive that he brought up. It just, it made it easier for me to, it gave me a little bit more of an opening to be like, okay, so give this guy an open mind, but, but keep in mind that, that this guy doesn't really have anything nice to say again, to quote my own mentor, not my reader, not my vision. Right. So, you know, look, you, it, it, it didn't feel good. I did my best to to take the the notes that were important and in a way it worked very well because I referenced that criticism a lot and how it did transform the novel to some degree. Um but you know that's that's the 33% when you're lousy and I think in anything like this with the rule of thirds you're probably going to focus on the 33% when you're lousy a little bit more than the 33% you're great and the 33% you're okay. But those are important too, because there are plenty of days through the process of my novel or through the comic where I was like, dude, this is good. I'm really pleased with this, you know? And then of course there's the okay days that fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know, I, I have that same thing with um, like staying on the, uh, you know, the, the editor train there, like having those critiques from Mike, it was just like, oh man, it's like we've been doing this a long time and I didn't even see that, you know, it's just like shit. OK, that's something that we need to work on. So that's something we need to fix. And it didn't feel good, but I also knew it was a fair criticism. Mm-hmm. And um, but then I think I might have mentioned this on the last episode. The very next day, like I got a note from someone saying, hey, just want to let you know, I love the second shift. It's great. Let me know when the next issue drops. So it was yeah. just like, man, I got hit with some stuff that I didn't see coming. And it's stuff that we need to work on. And it was all fair. It didn't feel great, but it was fair. And then, you know, the next day someone says how much they love the book. So it's just like not not that Mike was wrong. That that information was true. But mm-hmm. there is enough there that people that read the book that enjoy it let you know. You know, it's just like, hey, there's yeah. enough going on here that I enjoyed. They, they might ne- not necessarily see those same criticisms that Mike had. You know, mm-hmm. they're reading it as a fan of comic books, not necessarily looking for something, you know, and, and I don't know that Mike is looking for something specifically. I don't know his process. It's like, is he reading the book and then he notices some shit or he's looking for something like, I don't know. I'm not an editor. I don't, I don't know the Mm -hmm. process of that. Um, so, you know, and then just on the artistic side of it, like second shift 13 specifically, when I first started drawing the book, I was like, after I laid all the thumbnails that I felt great about the thumbnails, I'm like, these are, these all came out pretty good. They came out pretty fast. I like how a lot of these layouts look. They're just a little different from how I've been doing them and like in a positive way. And then I started to draw the first few pages and I'm like, I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. I don't like how this is coming out. And all I had to do was switch it up. I, I switched pages. I'm like, what pages do I feel good about? 
you know what, I really like these thumbnails. I feel like I can really tackle this this two page spread. This is the thing that's going to get me back into it. And it did. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's all of those all of those balances that you have to do, those checks and balances. It's like, yeah, if you're a little too high on yourself, there is probably something there that you need to work on. You don't even realize it. So, mm -hmm. you know, get some outside information uh, if, if you're blind to it. Make sure you're asking people that will be truthful with you, you know, not your not your family, not your friends, you know, unless you have like studio mates, like artists, artist friends that you can just go seriously. Tell me what you think of this, you know, mm -hmm. and they can just be brutally honest you know, like they can just be like, well, I think this, this and this. And then at least you have some information there. And, you know, hopefully they give you the um, um, what is it? It's uh, the compliment sandwich. You know, compliment yeah. up front. Here's the shit you need to work on in the middle. And hey, again, I like this. You know, boom. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. there you go. You're ready to roll. Yeah. And I mean, one one other note, the only other note I have to add is, you know, I talked just now about a, a thing that was like external. But remember that this is internal, too. And to harken back to something, you know, I've mentioned on previous podcasts, the idea of the inner critic. Right. Um, for those that haven't listened to all of them, you know, a lot of writers are perfectionists. And the idea of the inner perfectionist getting the best of you is real. And what some people have taken to do, again, I picked this up in a book I read, is they've named their perfectionist. And that's why if anybody ever hears me say the phrase Victor Vaughn, that is because that is what I have named my inner perfectionist, because I also think it's funny. Um, and I'm a huge Dr. Doom fan. So, you know, now whenever I am aware that my inner perfectionist is getting the best of me, a.k.a. I'm having one of these, you know, 33% bad days. I, I put a Victor Von Doom voice to it, and it makes it all better. And before you know it, you're in a better mood. Keith, don't you realize your characterization sucks? <laughs> you know, or whatever it's going to be, right? So, so you know, again, it's uh, awareness is helpful. And, um, and understanding that having, you know, look, we're talking about a 30-year days here, right? I think if we all if we all agree to set that expectation that we're going to try to make great stuff and that two days a week, basically, you're not going to feel good. Hey, that's good to know. You know what I mean? Like, it's good to set those expectations, because if you set those expectations, it's going to make you try for something harder. Right. And for something greater. And I think that's what we're all here for. Right. We're all here to make something that's a little tougher to make. That's going to be, you know, that has the chance of being something great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those those hard days, they're you know they're coming, so just be expect them. And then when you have those great days when you're not expecting it, they're going to feel even better. Yeah. I'm going to give one final example, and I can't remember if I've given this on the podcast or not, but I love it. Um I I'm a golfer. I'm a golfer, and um I've been golfing for, you know, a very long time. And uh anybody who follows golf knows that one of the top, you know, arguably 2025 golfers of all time is Tom Watson and uh, Tom Watson again very decorated golfer in fact he almost won the British Open at age 59 at age oh, 59 wow. he almost won the British Open yeah and that was so it was like 10 years ago it was an amazing run he bogeyed the final hole to go into a playoff and then ended up losing but he had a great interview that I think was leading into that British Open and he said when I go on the first tee every day I say to myself, you got four bad shots, Tom. And then that way, if I hit one bad shot, I'm not going to get upset. I'm just going to say, okay, well, there was one. You still have three. 
And I, I love that so much. I think it, it, it dovetails into what we're talking about because this is one of the greatest golfers of all time. And he is allowing himself four bad shots today. Now, I know a lot of people who play golf go, oh, I can hit four bad shots on one hole, right? So you need to, you need to kind of season to taste here. But I think that that's, that's a, that's a, it's, it's just a great line from a master of the craft and a master of the sport that gives you an idea that even someone like that is allowing themselves the room to be bad every now and then. It's not the rule of thirds because Tom Watson's really fucking good at golf, you know, but, but it gives you an idea that even at the highest level, you should allow for this, this bad stuff, these bad days, this bad percentage of time. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That's all I got, man. We did it. We did it. You got some bullshit? I do. I do. It's going to be different bullshit, though. It's going to be different bullshit. All right. So can I tell you, can I tell you a story? Can I tell yeah. you a story? Is it going to lead to five okay. stars? I don't know. No, this this one actually. Oh, I I, I uh, now that I think of it, I should me again, buddy. I, I should I should have made it lead to five stars, but this one's not going to lead to five stars. It's it's you know this last weekend was you know Thanksgiving weekend, and therefore there's shopping that's involved. My mother loves shopping, so I generally am not a mall person, but I went to the mall, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to the mall. Uh, what can I wear to the mall? You know, because if you're going to the mall, I think you got it. You got to rock some kind of dope shit, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, I wear Jordan 1s all the time in terms of sneakers, but let me see what I can do that's a little something extra. So I go through my sneakers. I'm They're getting lower and lower, but I still got, you know, I still got some sneakers, a few. And uh, I find this pair of Air Max 97s that I got about, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago. Um, and they're this cool kind of like green base with some brown, with some orange, and with some darker green in there. Pretty nice, right? So I, uh, I get all set, I go to the mall, and, uh, and then at one point I kind of split up with my wife and kid and split up with my mom, and then I'm, I'm like walking around, and I look down, and I see that one of the little pieces of like this, you know, uh, so basically what an Air Max 97 sort of looks like, it has this kind of like, it looks like a topographic map, right? You have like lines that kind of, you know, line around each other and, and the sneaker itself has like three kind of or four contour lines, right? And in this case, they were all done in a different color. So I look down at the line that's like kind of closest to the tongue, aka closest to the middle, as I look down at my foot. And I'm like, that's weird. A piece of it chipped off. No hmm. big deal, right? I'm like, ah, you know, these sneakers are older. No big deal. I walk around a little bit more. I don't think anything of it. And then I happen to, I guess, I don't know, like put my my foot up, like sit like cross-legged, but, you know, the the heel on your knee cross-legged. And in the sole of the shoe, there is a gaping fault line, a fucking gaping fault line. You know, so you know what I'm talking about, right? The sole is like white, a gaping fucking fault line, Scott. And I'm like, oh, shit. Vintage sneakers can sometimes rot or fall apart because, you know, these things aren't made to last forever. In fact, anybody who anybody who buys vintage sneakers will know at a certain age, like you can buy stuff through these vintage sites and it's going to say, like, we're not guaranteeing this the second it gets in your hand. Like, we don't know what this kind of stuff's going to do. Yeah. So so I'm like, oh, fuck, these sneakers might be falling apart right now. So then I start walking around. I look down again. The contour lines have chipped off a little bit more. And I look at the other sneaker, it's got a fault line in it. And then I'm like, these sneakers are falling apart with every step I take right now. So then I'm like, do I need to buy sneakers at this fucking mall? Like, I don't know. I don't know at this point. So I'm walking around a little bit more. I rendezvous with my mom and then we're going with uh, 
I'm going with my mom to meet my wife and, and kids at the food court. <laughs> All of a sudden, I feel the back of one of my sneakers flap as I walk. Oh, and I'm no. like, oh, fuck. It is like, like I'm talking like, but that, 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 that. I can feel it every time yeah. I walk. And I'm like, mom, I think my sneakers are falling apart. I need to start walking slow. So I start walking. <laughs> Like a 70-year-old man, dude. I start walking so slow. And then I'm like, so mom, I'm just going to make it here. I was thinking of buying sneakers, but I'm not going to buy sneakers. I think we can make it. You know, no big deal, right? I swear to God, dude, I walk another 70 feet. The other fucking shoe flaps. And now I'm like, I mean, it's even worse. Like, I'm like, these soles are going to fall the fuck off in a mall, which is like the worst place because people rock their sneakers and shit to the mall, right? Yeah. Now yeah. I feel like a grade A dipshit. So I, I am not kidding. I am trying to play it off and walk with like the gangsta strollinist gangsta stroll, <laughs> right? But I still feel like I'm walking like an old man and I can feel this thing and I'm like, mom, this is going to peel off. I'm like, I got to go buy a pair of sneakers. <laughs> so so I, I fucking make my way slowly, slowly, slowly. And I pretend to like stop and look around and do all this stuff. But in the meantime, I'm just like, please don't fall apart in front of everybody so that I just don't have soles on my sneakers. <laughs> and then I manage to like get into the footlocker and, and proceed to like putter around like a half foot at a time as I'm taking these steps. And then just like stare at shelves and I try to play it off cool. And then I finally find a pair that's like semi-okay. And I bought those fucking things. And then I just threw the Air Max 97s in like the box and wore them around the mall. It was insane, dude, to have a pair of sneakers just completely like crumble to dust on me like that in such a short period of time. (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. So I have a couple of stories that are similar to that. Um, One, I I sold a pair of Jordans that I had. I, f- I forgot the year and the model and everything, but uh, I sold them on eBay. I had only worn them two to three times. They're really heavy. I like the way they look. They were they're my color aesthetic. It was just like black and gold, black and yellow, yeah. black, yellow, yeah. white. I was like, yeah, that's Dude, my I'm, shit. I'm a, I'm a black, red, white guy. I love black, red, white. So yeah. So I was just like, oh, I'll buy these, you know. And I wore them a couple of times, and I was like, these are heavy as fuck. I don't know that I like them all that much, but hey, they're cool looking. Maybe they'll be worth something in the future. So I just wore them a couple of times and boxed them. I'm like, you know what? I can throw those on eBay at some point and point and, you know, sell them for whatever. I think I made my money back for what I paid for them. Um, but when the guy got them and, and some years had went by, not not mm-hmm. a crazy amount of years, maybe five, you know, yeah. so so not nothing too crazy, right? Five to seven, maybe. I don't know. And, um, so I threw him, threw him on eBay. The guy got him. He goes, Hey, got the sneakers. They look great. Um, but did you, did you color them? Like, were, was there some color fading and you like colored them back in? I was like, no, I was, I was like, I literally wore them like two to three times at the very most and just never wore them again. They were too heavy for me. I didn't, I didn't, they weren't that comfortable. I didn't like them. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, okay, no big deal if you did. I just wanted to know because the color seems to be chipping off him. I'm like, I'm sorry, my man. I'm like, I didn't do anything to him, I I swear to you. So, yeah, yeah. and that's not a very long period of time um, where something was going wrong with him. And another time was I had a pair of Kobe's I got off of eBay. They were slightly used. Um, They were in pretty good condition when I got them. And um, I think they were like fives or something. And... You know, I got them for a good price because they were pre-owned. And I was just like, okay, cool. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get these. 
and so they were like my walk around shoes like my whatever shoes mm-hmm. you know and so they were they had i had them for a few years they were dirty i just threw them in a bin they're just you know Mm-hmm. random shoes to wear so me and my buddy Ramel, we were we were out hiking and he goes hey bring some shoes you kind of don't care about they're gonna get dirty and messed up probably or whatever so i was like you know what these are pretty old i'll, I'll just bring them with and um those fucking things fell apart man like the same shit happened the flat tire in the back where the yeah. back started peeling off and then i just didn't have a sole on yeah. one of my shoes oh, and, and thank goodness i had brought hiking boots as a backup um they're just heavier, so I just didn't feel like wearing them, you know, and it was really mm-hmm. hot. And I was like, hey, basketball shoes are easy to slip on. They, they're breathable and, you yeah. know, compared to boots. And so, yeah, anyway, those fell apart hella quick. And, you know, again, those those weren't terribly old. Like, they were, mm-hmm. you know, they, there was some time there, but they're, they weren't 97s. And, um, yeah, those fell apart, too. So, uh, I hear you. These these are definitely not meant to last. They have a shelf yeah. life, literally. And, uh, you know, once you go past a certain time, they just start coming apart on you. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to make a point actually now to rotate a lot of my sneakers and just make sure I wear them um, just in case, oh, yeah. you know, like I again, I why not? Why not use them all? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start mm-hmm. rotating them again. But anyway, so that, that was my that was my first thing. Yeah, I've always been about rotating my sneakers and it's usually the colorways, like whatever the colorways are. It's I chain. I wear the color shoes compared to. Uh, to go with the color shirt that I'm wearing. So, if, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm wearing a red shirt, then I'm going to throw on my 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 D roses or something like that, right. you know. Um, so I'll just color coordinate that way. And I am going to take your advice you gave me a while back. I am going to sell the Kobe's that are not in my shoe size, but I will be mm-hmm. keeping the ones that are because yeah, he's man. my my favorite player and, um, you know, those sneakers are hard to come by these days, so why not and keep your them? foot size didn't change? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. You got You got something? No, man, I, I don't think that I do. The Lakers pissed me off the other day. They lost to the Pacers. Um, uh, it was a Hail Mary. Just the Pacers threw up a three and made it and won by one point. Oh, and uh, yeah, so that was a little that was a little annoying because yeah, it was like we hurts. were leading by 17 majority of the game like we just had the lead and we were in control and i was just like yeah we got this and we were watching you know me and danielle were watching uh the last harry potter mm-hmm. um yeah definitely Hallows definitely part two. deadly Hall, yeah part two and uh yeah so we were watching that and then so i was watching the game in the corner of my eye and then they fucking lost and i was just god damn it i just turned that shit off and mm-hmm. yeah just annoying annoying you're like i hope voldemort wins <laughs> can Voldemort <laughs> shoot someone on the Pacers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, give a fucking curse. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I have I have one more stupid thing, which is, uh, you know this, maybe you do actually, but the development I live in is right up against a farm. I do know this. Right. I and smell so, that. yeah. Oh, the smell is one thing, but sometimes we just get this plague of flies. Oh, I have not experienced that. But yeah, man. So sometimes the and the flies are pretty bad. I mean, it's it's been kind of warm, and we've just had this run of flies. So you can't really leave any doors open without a goddamn fly coming in. So as a result, we we had the sad fly swatter, 
And, um, you know, the fly swatter had gotten like torn and stuff like that. And, you know, leave it to people's mothers. Like, like mom was like, you still use that fly swatter? And I was like, <laughs> ah, fuck, I probably do need to buy a fly swatter. You know, you don't even think about it, but you know. Yeah. Um, and the flies, it, it was a really pathetic fucking fly swatter. Like it had torn and we had taped it, you know, and it was like, we had the wire thing. So, I mean, you know, mom was def- definitely within her rights. But then I happened, she happened to say it and she's like, no big deal, whatever. And I'm like, I probably should buy some fly swatters. So I looked, uh, I looked on a website and I found some fly swatters i was like these look good they're like they're like a one piece of plastic they don't have that fucking wire coat hanger thing to them okay one piece of plastic it's a little floppy plastic probably but one Mm -hmm. piece of plastic and it it prided itself on how it has like 976 killing spikes on this tiny fly (laughs) swatter it's like yeah man fuck flies right so uh, i got a couple and i got them in the house motherfucker like I am I am just I'm on a spree. I'm on a spree right now. Like like these fly swatters are like plus three to attack. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. like they're plus three to attack and they roll for double damage. Cause we are fucking up flies in terms of this house right now. <laughs> like we we're again we we have like the the wand of swatting <laughs> that could that imbibes with magical powers. So anyway, it's it's been great. Like like the, the tables have turned and now uh and now we're on a rampage. So yeah, it's been great. Just hey, these were two bullshit things that have been nothing like any other bullshit I've brought in a while, so that's why I wanted to bring them up this is true oh speaking of you brought you brought something back to my memory there um me thinking about being in your area and one of the things that i love in your area farmer boys yeah so we apparently have a farmer boys not too far from us i I think if i remember correctly it's somewhere in san marcos so it's not too far of a drive and um i remember we were going i think we're going to the i had i think i had a checkup like at the doctors or something like that and then we were driving out of the area, and I was like, holy shit, is that a fucking farmer's boy? Farmer place. I got so excited. And she goes, yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, that place is great. Keith has one in his area. We always go when I'm there. Like, I was just so excited. You know, it wasn't the right time to go. I think it was, like, early in the morning, you know. Uh, but uh, I was definitely a note. I was like, all right, we have to come back here. We have to get some farmer nice. boys. Yeah. Nice. No, I just had farmer boys the other day, actually. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Right on, okay. Hey, I think we did it. That's all the bullshit. We did it. All right. Well, hey, you can find me at Scott Lost, at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S E O T T L O S T, and uh, Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, for me, it's Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. That is if you want uh, everything I do, me, pictures, books I like, etc. And then I also have at Kadoja Kaiju, which I, par, uh, I barely post anymore on it because I. I filter everything through keith underscore invader but it is giant monsters and if you like only giant monsters then that's the one for you and you can find my books at accidentalaliens.com second shift minimum wage superheroes and act of and i said and accidental aliens all right let's try that again second shift minimum wage superheroes and wanders of melisanda anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans you can find those at accidentalaliens.com yeah, KeithRFoster.com has a bunch of things, including a web store with my two properties on there. Kadoja, that is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in Space. And you can contact us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If there's anything you want us to talk about, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything we've talked about you want us to go into further, we just mentioned it briefly, or if there's a subject we haven't broached yet and you want us to talk about that, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. 
Yeah, and then a couple things from me, right? I got no story this time, so I'm just going to say. Go to Apple Podcasts and, and give your boys five stars, okay? We're, we're more than an hour in. We deserve it. Five stars would be great. Give us five stars on Spotify. Again, it really helps. It really helps the visibility of this podcast. Hey, we see the numbers and we're happy to see the numbers growing. And we're glad that you're part of the Making Comics uh, podcast family now and that you're kicking it with us and hopefully crack it open whatever your beverage of choice is. And you can, so you can do it on Apple um, Podcasts or you can do it on Spotify. But another thing too, like, you know, about our books, right? Like this is a free podcast and we don't do any kind of Patreon stuff. So if you ever feel like there's a way like, oh man, Scott and Keith, they give me so much goodwill. They've helped me so much. Go to those websites we talked about, right? Or hang around for a Kickstarter and feel free to get caught up with our stuff. We really appreciate it. We love doing this podcast, but we also love getting our books out in the world. Yep. That's, this is all true. So make sure you're... You got a fucking dart in your neck, man. <laughs> hey, we need to talk about something. We've made it to the end, but... But... If you've made it this far, guess what? Guess what next week is, Scott? Yeah, it is uh, the end of year extravaganza starring me and Keith and Gary Hodges. So make sure you're tuning in next week if you're interested in our uh, year-end special that we like to do. And uh, we're excited. And we're actually going to be drinking the same beer. And it's something yeah, a little for, different for one from of those episodes for sure, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. It's, one of them it's gonna sure. be it's gonna be a year end bonanza. It's gonna be a, a you know two episodes that we make out of it. So that'll be on I believe December nineteenth and December twenty sixth. So you can you know hey as you as you get ready and ramp down a uh, ramp up for the holidays, uh, whatever you're doing there, then you can kick it with us and we can talk about the things we really loved this year uh, across all kinds of genres. And uh, hey, if you want a refresher on what we thought about last year go ahead man dig those out and uh and and see uh, and get ready for what we have in store for dad ass for 2022 <laughs> that's right yeah look for the december the last episode in december and uh the first week in january of last year those will give you some yeah. idea of what we're gonna do for these next couple of episodes yes sir we're gonna drink and we're gonna talk the year <laughs> that's right all right we'll see you guys next week yay yeah, yay yeah.